Um, some of you might know my testimony. I became, uh, I, I became born again, um, aged around 21, 22. I know some people know their exact date and time and things like that. I think I got born again kind of about eight times in about six months as I just kept redoing it and redoing it. But I can, do, I can sort of narrow it down to a six-month six period, exactly. It was so good I, I did it six times. Um, and... Um, and Esther was a big, big part of that in, in, in my life. But my early experience of Christians in, in my life, to be quite honest, was, was pretty rubbish, you know. And the Christians I had sort of met over my life kind of fell into two different camps. You kind of either had those that were, um, that were sort of just, just, just sapped the life out of you, you know. That was kind of quite condemning, um, just seemed to be miserable. Yeah, there was no joy in them, Yeah. And, and then there's, there was sort of the second lot who were just, just so ridiculously happy that they just came across as completely unstable and, and not the sort of people you wanted to be um, at all. And, and I remember I was at, um, I, when I was at university, I worked in, a, worked in one of the university bars. Anyone here worked in a bar before, a pub, anything like that? It's great fun. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and so this bar I was working in, I think we could fit about 500 people in it, something like that. And it's probably about the, the third or fourth week of, of term, and the, uh, the Christian Union had their sort of first kind of get-together um, at, uh, at the bar I worked at. So 500 people is how much this bar could fit. 20 people, roughly, is how many people kind of showed up, which is, you know, fine, University Christian Union, that, that sort of thing. But there was just nothing in these people, except for one, and she's sitting over there, um, were you not there? I can't remember. I was just saying that to cover myself so I didn't get into trouble. She wasn't there, so it's all right. Um, and, and there was just nothing. There was no joy in these people at all. It was just painful. It was painful to see. It was awkward. Um, you know, these people who sort of came to a bar, they, you know, we, we opened this bar that's 500 people, so all the people that were working there, there, they all just ordered water, orange juice, Coke, things like that, you know. Jesus turned water into wine. These people were ordering water instead of wine. It was just just no fun in it at all. So the first experience I had really of Christians in my life was just was just not really very good. And there were two people that changed that for me. One is Esther over there, and another is a guy called Rex, two really important people in my life who had within them something really joyful, something and don't take this the wrong way, but something quite normal, you know. They laughed at the things I laughed at, you know. They could just have a bit of fun without worrying too much about, you know, upsetting people and, and things like that. So I think from my experience that, you know, the body of Christ hasn't always exuded the joy that sits within Jesus and that we are given. Um, as You know, people who, who know and love um, Jesus, I know we can sometimes go little, down little sort of rabbit holes of frustration, you know, and things like that, and things don't always work out for us. We have doubt, we have anger, we have all of these things. Um, but what we want to talk about today, um, the, what we want to describe how to obtain is Jesus wants us to have, to, to be full of joy. He wants us to have a bucket of joy that's full and overflowing, okay? And anything less than that, we're, we're missing something. Yeah, we're missing something. So what I'm going to talk about first then is, you know, we should have joy because we're made in God's image. And God is a joyful God. Open your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And you probably beat me there even though I've got my little, there we go. And we're going to look here at verse, uh, verse 11. 
So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, describes something, it describes the good news as the glorious gospel of, and it depends on the translation you got, it'll probably say the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Quite easy to kind of overlook that. That word blessed there is a Greek word called makarios. And if you look at what makarios means, it means so much more than this word blessed, which we kind of water down a bit. You know, we say at the bottom of our emails, blessings and things like that. All sounds very Christian and holy and that sort of thing. We somehow watered it down. This word makarios means just not just blessed, but supremely blessed. It means fortunate and well-off and, and, and happy. It's a state of perpetual gladness. It's more than just blessed. It's perpetually glad. There's something which bubbles up inside you. So in fact, what this verse is saying is describing the glorious gospel of the happy and perpetually glad God. Okay, this is a different God to the God we sometimes, you know, worry about when we've done something we know we shouldn't have done. He's perpetually glad. doesn't matter what you've done. He's glad. He's perpetually glad. He's perpetually happy. And we see throughout the Bible other evidence that this God of ours is a joyful God. You know, he takes huge delight in you, in what he's created. He takes huge delight in it. Turn over to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Don't worry if you can't find Zephaniah. It's tiny and hides quite well. But I'll read it out to you. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. He's so happy. He loves you so much. He, you give him so much pleasure and delight that he sings over you. It causes him to sing. When I was younger, I used to go almost week in, week out to go and watch Northampton Saints play rugby. Is anyone here? There's not a chance of anyone supporting Northampton Saints. Well, kind of, Nick's kind of on that, on that side. And, okay, you'll, you'll get this if you go to watch football matches, but we would start from the beginning of the match to the end of the match just singing, Oh, when the saints go marching in. And we just sing it over and over again. It's an awesome song anyway, but it's even more awesome when you're singing it with rugby people watching a rugby match. And we, we sang it because watching them play gave us such joy. And so singing was a natural outpouring. And God's doing that to you. God's seeing you. He's seeing Roger. And he's sort of singing along going, Roger, Roger, Roger. Things like, he's just singing over him. He's singing a song about Roger because he loves him so much. And all of you as well, make up your own song. God's got a better one. And we see it in Genesis right at the beginning. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1. God's making all the different components of the universe. He's making, he's making the earth. He's making the waters. He's making the birds, everything like that. And a particularly favorite one for me is when he makes, um, he makes the heavens and he makes the sun and the earth. I think that's verse, verse 16. It's the only one I've not marked. Here we go. Because I can find Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> Even I can do that. So it says here, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. It gave him joy to see what he had made. Those of you that know me will know I spend any evening I can, and that's not necessarily many evenings, um, out under the stars with telescopes, looking at the stars and looking at galaxies and things like that. And it's an amazing thing. And at some point, I encourage you all to do something like that, because you're just seeing stuff you just don't expect to see. And something I love is 
um, through the largest telescope I've got, you, you, you can look at galaxies and you see all the sort of spiral stuff going around, yeah? And it's like God, when he was making this, kind of just thought, right, let's gather all these stars together and give it a spin. And he's just having fun. You know, you look at things and you just see this joy coming out from the creativity that God's put into, um, into the heavens. And, God, and joy is key to the way that we're designed to function. You know, we're fueled by joy. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. And it says there, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our strength, our mojo, our zing, the stuff that kind of energizes us, is joy. And it's not just any joy, it's the same joy that God has. It's the joy of the Lord. You know, I think sometimes we read these passages and we think, the joy of the Lord, which we have to say with a very kind of sour face, it's the joy of the Lord. This is joy. It's joy that God gives to us. It's the joy of the Lord. It's, it's the ultimate sort of joy. And it provides us with nourishment. You know, it's something we need. Our strength comes from it. And I'm going through all this because I think we need to realize just how important joy is and just how much pleasure joy gives God. You know, it's not something which is um, periphery. It's not something which is fleeting. It's something which is so, so important to who we are as, as, as people. It's so important that um, when Jesus came and then Jesus chose to die for us, he died because he loved us. But if you read the scriptures, he actually died because of the joy he was going to get by them being in a relationship with us. So yes, love drove that. But if you read, if you open your, verse, your, your, your Bibles at um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says there, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You know, there was a lot in the cross for us. But you know there was also something in it for God? He was doing it because he wanted that joy that he got from being in a relationship with us. That was how important joy was to God and how important we are to God, that he pursued us and went to the cross so that he could experience joy. I think it's worth saying as well that joy is different to just happy, yeah? I think the world is great at seeking happy. The world is great at seeking fun, all good stuff. But all that is different, you know, to joy. And I think you see that in, in social media now. Loads of people post fun stuff on social media. And yet we live in a world where, you know, mental health problems of young, young people is as high as it's ever been because there's no joy yeah they might do fun things they might experience fun things they might be happy that doesn't always last because it's not joy joy has a permanence that happiness doesn't you know and god has this as well you know god is an emotional god and we see this throughout scriptures you know god is actually quite uh, an emotionally complex character you know we see um you know Throughout the Old Testament, he gets angry, he grieves, he's passionate, he loves. You know, Jesus got angry 
when he um, overturned the tables of the money changers in, in, in the temple. You know, I think we sometimes read that passage and we don't really put it into context. If you could just imagine someone coming in here and just, you know, throwing chairs, making, a, making an absolute scene. You know, we would kind of shield our children from that and kind of walk them away and say, oh, you know, there must, must be demonic. Must be, you know, must be something wrong with that person. We don't think this is, this is, this is you know, a passionate Jesus. These emotions are, are, are normal, but they're controlled. And they're very different, some of these emotions, to joy, which is something which sits within us. So the world chases happiness. The world chases fun. What it's actually looking for is joy. And God makes it very clear in his word that he hasn't just made joy available to us. He wants us and actually at times commands us to seek and to have this this joy. Esther's going to talk a bit later about John 15. And I'm just going to quote a very small part of it um, here. Where it says that, so my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So not just a bit of joy, not just, I'm, you know, all right, fairly happy, but a joy that may be full. So I go to Roger, I say, hey, Roger, would you like some joy? And he can say, nope, I'm full. You know, you don't need any more joy because you're full of it, which is just awesome. And Jesus' expectation is that our joy isn't going to be dependent on what's going on around us. Our joy isn't going to be dependent on our circumstances. So if we go over to one of the most famous um, chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, which is the, the Beatitudes, which I just think is the weirdest name passage, the blessings bit. Let's call it that instead. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think sometimes we read that and we think our reward's in heaven. And we again have that sort of sour-faced Christian thing of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grin and bear this because my reward's in, in heaven. And we, we sort of reduce down this, you are blessed when this happens, to I've got enough power to endure it. And that's true, we do have enough power to endure it. But actually, we should rejoice and be glad because the, the word bless that's used here is that word makarios again. So if you were to kind of rearrange the words of this passage here, it says, happy and fortunate and well-off and perpetually glad are you when people are treating you like dirt. I think that's quite a challenging verse when you put it into that context. And really makes us think, well, where do I get this joy from? How can I access it? What do I need to do? Because I'm not going to do that on my own. When people aren't very nice to me, I don't like it. You know, if Bob suddenly starts heckling, which, to be quite honest, is always something I really genuinely fear when I come up here. <laughs> it's not going to make me feel good. It's not going to make me feel good. Or actually, I should be blessed. I should be thinking, yeah, come on, bring it on, more. You know, and Bob used to be a boxer, so I'm particularly scared. <laughs> if you turn over to Philippians and verse 4, Sorry, chapter 4, in verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And I think sometimes we read that passage and we think, ah, oh, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, that's different. You're rejoicing in the Lord. So, so that's, again, it's one of these religious things. And rejoicing in the Lord, I can do when I'm feeling a bit depressed. And I say, oh, 
Life's a nightmare, but just, I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. And you sort of, it's a way of saying, I've had enough. You know, you could sort of say these things. We've all done it. You know, I've done it. And, and, and that's not what it's saying here. So Paul kind of finds another way to make it really obvious to us. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, he couldn't make it any easier for us. It simply says, rejoice always. Everyone say, rejoice always. There's no caveats, there's no ifs, there's no buts, it's just rejoice always. But no, rejoice always. Yeah, but no, no, rejoice always. He makes it really clear to us that this is something he expects. If he expects it from us, he must empower us to be able to do it. Let's look at the disciples in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, verses 50 to 52. Just turn over to that. I know you were saying my uh, little tabs were cool earlier, Roger, but I've got too many of them and now I can't find what I'm after. Here we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 50 to 52. So this is when um, Paul and Barnabas, they've just been chased out of a place called Antioch in Pisidia, where they've been preaching. And it says here in um, chapter 50, if I can find it, But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now this place, Iconium, is about 70 miles away from where they were, Antioch and Pisidia. So that's, I'm guessing at that time, two, three days walk, something like that, yeah? It's quite a long way. Tough. They're probably carrying all they've got on the back. They're probably hungry. They're probably thirsty. And yet still, they were filled with joy. Yeah? Their circumstances didn't define whether they were joyful or not. Now, every year, or almost every year, we go down to France on on holidays. We fill the car up, and we set off nice and early. We go through the tunnel, and we drive the whole day down to France. We've got food with us. We've got water. We've got CDs to listen to. We've got, we've got, yeah, we've got a nice, comfortable car. We've got air conditioning. And it's just slightly less than a day's journey down there. And when I arrive, I'm horrible. I'm so grumpy. <laughs> and yet it's really, really easy for me. And at the end of it all, I've got a holiday. You know, I haven't just been persecuted and sort of sent away. I've got a holiday to look forward to. And yet still, in this comfortable environment, in a nice car with, you know, nice air conditioning and and, and nice music, and sometimes the boys' music to listen to, I still arrive really grumpy. So why aren't I accessing that joy that's there for me? In Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is one of my favorite chapters of the, the Bible, although I have to say these verses aren't some of my favorite verses, I'm just being honest, um, God talks about how he punishes Israel because of a lack of joy. You know, we've heard about sort of we're, we're encouraged to be joyful and these sorts of things. In the Old Testament, God actually punishes Israel because of their lack of joy. It says in verse 47, it says, Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. You know, if we want to take a really Old Testament view of this, we need to be joyful, otherwise we're going to get punished. That's not the view we take. But, you know, this is so important to God. This is so important that in the Old Testament, it was seen 
as, as something you'd be punished for if you didn't have. So what's the source of our joy? What, what is this thing that, that, that we read about that's so important that we need to get our arms around? And it's really, really simple. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you already have joy in you. You know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Let's just read. I know we know this. I'm going to read it again because it's just beautiful. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians chapter 5. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, the work for this joy isn't done by us. It's done by the Holy Spirit. And that joy, that, that spirit simply wants to fruit in us. You know, when you plant an apple tree, every year it fruits, pretty much. You don't have to try each year to somehow make it fruit. Yes, you can prune it, you can do all sorts of things that make it fruit better. But it's just kind of fruit. You go along, you know, Cambridgeshire country roads, and you see sometimes in the hedgerows, you know, just apple trees, just there fruiting every year, year in, year out. You know, they just fruit because that's what they want to do. The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, which means that this engine for joyfulness in our lives is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's not periphery. It's not something which is fragile or anything like that. It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead, which is also the power for real joy in our lives. Not religious joy where we just pretend we're joyful, but a real sustaining joy that sits in us that never is quenched and just bubbles up and bubbles up. So if we live and we walk in the Spirit, joy will simply manifest. It has to, because that's what it does. It's, it's, it's a joy tree, and it fruits joy. I'm going to get Esther to come up. Super. Well, Paul asked me if I'd help him this morning, and honestly, I really didn't want to. And, um, and then when he started, I said, oh, right. well, what are you doing it on? He's like, I'm doing it on joy. And I was like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> had this really like, unjoyful response to it. And um, uh, I very quickly sort of got over myself. And um, I think the reason I had that response was because I am very aware of people's pain and hurts. And I think it, is, it can sound quite glib, can't it, to say we should be joyful always. You're like, do you know what? You don't know what it's like to be me, and you don't know what it's like to have gone through the things. And I'm, I, I'm really aware of that. So as I go on, I just want to say that we have got that um, you know, sensitivity to those things. And... And we're going to offer a time to um, pray for people at the end. Because I know sometimes, um, you know, yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, it's not our effort. The tree is not trying to produce an apple really. Oh, I'm going to get an apple out here. You know, it's going to come up. But sometimes you need someone to stand next to you and, you know, um, encourage you and receive with you. So we, we are going to do that. But um, also the thing about joy is it's just so permeated through the word that you could spend forever um, studying it and going through it for yourself and um, we you know we cannot have an exhaustive um, talk on joy this morning so I just um, I asked the Holy Spirit what um, he wanted um, me to share this morning and um, he's um, his first thing that he said to me was um, joy comes when we choose to exist from his presence and um, I know there's a lot of biblical examples about being in his presence. Psalm 16, 11, you don't need to take it up, look up if you don't want to. Psalm, it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, one of the stories that I love most um, is at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. 
when um, we learn that John the Baptist leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb um, when she met with Mary, um, simply just by coming into a proximity of the Messiah. And I just, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this, this joy overtook them both, and she shouts out. And I would just love to have seen that scene. And um, I think, you know, yeah, okay, so God, you're, um, you know, I know there is joy in your presence, but what you said to me was, joy comes when we choose to exist from his presence. And I was like, what? Show me, show me. So I've been camping a lot in John 15, and I would like to read um, the first 17 verses. And, you know, please do turn to it. I think it's really good to read it for yourself. Um, and I did say to Paul, it's one of those um, chapters in the Bible where I feel like you could play sort of Bible bingo. And, um, you know, it's got, you know, when G- Jesus is talking and he, when he keeps using the same words, you know he means those words. And I was going to get everyone to jump up every time he said abide in and, you know, put your hand out and you say love. But you can, you can participate in your own way just to see how many times um, Jesus says abide in me and the word love. So there's, there, that's what I want you to look out for when 15, chapter 15, I find this. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Um, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. I love that verse, just as an aside. That's one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. And when I come out of Bible school, that's what I feel like. I feel like I've been made clean by the word. I've been washed by the word all the time. I think that is, that is such a powerful thing. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Okay. So, I, I really don't think Jesus could have made that any clearer. We have, to, we have to constantly be in his presence. We constantly have to have his word in us. But then what we need to do is turn, and with that love, and with that presence, we need to love others. And that is what he meant by 
this phrase that he gave me, joy comes when we choose to exist from his presence. And actually, in 1 John 4, this um, abiding in him, um, it actually says, if we love one another, God abides in us. Uh, It says also, anyone who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So there's these two things. But there's this really important part of it, and that is that we love one another. And this is what I really felt God was saying to me. And not a sort of way that we're not doing these things. I actually, I think, I think as a church we are. But it was this encouragement um, to, to love like God loves. And if we just look at 1 Corinthians 13, we sort of remind ourselves what God says love is. Um, 13, 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And I could go on, actually. I could say, love stands in the car park directing traffic when it's not in Uganda. Love organizes rotors. (laughs) Love leads worship when they're very heavily pregnant. Love looks after the coffee station week after week. Love looks, goes around schools sharing the message of the gospel to children who wouldn't otherwise hear it, also in Uganda. Um, love prays with people until they get their break- breakthrough, even if that takes a bit longer than we'd all like. Love stands on the street in the cold singing praises to God, sharing the good news of Jesus and praying for people. Love makes meals for people when they need help. Didn't you think that was amazing when Sarah stood at the front and she talked about after they'd had the twins and they didn't cook their own meals for six weeks? In a church of this size, I think that is amazing. I think that is what God said, love one another. Um, So um, the second thing that um, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me about joy, and again, this is not exhaustive, and... I feel a bit like Mark, you know, when he says I'm going to be a bit controversial now. Um, I'm going to start with don't get offended now. Um, But um, I felt like God said to me, you know, joy is actually one of my rewards to you for your faithfulness. It's a consequence of your faithfulness. And I know people get upset about things like rewards because we're not talking about our salvation. Um, But we're, um, you know, God is a God actually who does offer rewards. Um, Hebrews says that... um, um, sorry, not Hebrews, is it Hebrews? Yes, Hebrews 11 says, um, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we know that at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to be giving out crowns for um, for people's love works, love acts. Um, and um, again, it was, it was not to um, condemn anyone or convict anyone, but to say um, well done to people, actually. And I think um, the passage that sort of spoke this to me was Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Um, I'm sure we're all very familiar with this passage. But, um, yeah, from verse 14, if you wanted to look in your own Bibles, Matthew 25, verse 14 onwards, um, we know that the master has um, given talents, different number of talents to um, three of his servants. And um, he goes away for a long time. He's asked them to um, invest them, use them, use these talents. And um, when he comes back, he says um, to the first two servants, you know, what have you got to show me? And um, this phrase that comes, they say, oh, master, I've done this, I've got this for you. And he says, "Um, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Wouldn't you like to hear that from Jesus? Good, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord, which again, like Paul was saying, it just goes to show that, the, you know, our God is a joyful God. It's his joy. We're going to enter into his joy. Um, and um, um, I think, you know, he's a direct reward for what they have done. He's saying, you know, well done. You've been faithful. Enter into my joy. And um, I think we, some people get really um, upset by the, um, the third servant who has, you know, buried his talent and he's got nothing to show the master. And um, I think um, we, we know, don't we, that he says, I, I knew you to be um, a hard... Um, sorry, I'm just trying my place. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. I'm going to say, is that the God that we know? It's, it's, it's not. He's, he's got a wrong picture of our God. And um, if we know who our God is and we know who we are in Christ, we won't see God like this and we, will, we won't have this same experience. But it's, it's this wrong thinking about our God that got him into, you know, it made him make the wrong choices. So going back to what I said at the beginning, if joy is a fruit of the Spirit and it doesn't depend on our circumstances but we're facing something tough does that mean we should be content to be sick or poor or you know fight facing these things we just say okay it's like no absolutely not absolutely not when we're facing pain and sorrows and trials um we we don't stay in that place but i i feel um like i i've got a testimony and i don't know whether to share it or not um but um god's joy is like, to me, if you're in a dark tunnel, he's got a flashing torch at the end. And it's the hope of reaching that light that draws you in the right direction and it takes you out of this dark place that you found yourself in. And um, the best, um, so when I was sort of praying, God took me back a few years to, um, do you remember when Mark fell off his bike and he shattered his elbow and his knee? And um, I was... Um, praying for him, and um, I, was, I, I was just in a really horrible place myself. I'd been really sick for a very long time, a couple of years, a few years, and I had small children, and I was in a very, very dark place, and um, I really, looking after the children was all I really did and could do, and um, I didn't have a lot of joy at that time manifesting itself in my life, um, but um, I was praying for Mark, and um, I really, you know, I love Mark and Cheryl, and I was, you know, when you flatten your back and you're not very well, there's not much you can do apart from read the word. So I was really much in his, in God's presence, and I really had the word in me, and I really felt this love for Mark and Cheryl. So it's all like this John 15 sort of um, situation, and I'm, I, I had this picture um, of Mark at the front the following Sunday. So this was the beginning of the week that he had his accident. And um, by about Tuesday, I had this picture of him standing at the front the following Sunday, say, you know, giving his testimony, like, I've been, you know, completely healed. And this is what I saw in my spirit. So I thought, I've got to go over and tell him and I'll pray for him. But really, I just want to, you know, share this um, picture that I've had of him. And so I went over and we had this nice time where Mark and Cheryl and Mark was propped up in bed and Cheryl and I were sitting on either side and eating fruit toast. And I shared this, this thing with him. But over the thing that I've never shared with anyone was on the car on the way over, I remember... Um, I dropped Jacob off at preschool, and um, I really, I, I just really didn't feel very well. 
And, um, but I got in my car, and I was like, thanking God for my car, and I was thanking God for my kids, and I was just thanking God. And I was just thinking about anything good in my life that I could thank him for. And um, then I started, you know, speaking in tongues and praying for Mark and Cheryl. And it's quite a long way from our house to Mark and Cheryl, so I had quite a long time, and I was praising God. And um, after a little while, I could just, I felt this bubbling up inside me. And... I mean, people must have thought I was sort of a bit hysterical or on the phone or a bit of a lunatic or something, but I just, this great joy flooded up from inside me as I was thanking God and praising God. And, and I just was having the most lovely time in my car from this, just, just this bubbling up joy that I, I could have controlled. You know, when I got out of my car, I didn't sort of stagger to the door like, ha, ha, you know, but... I was having a love, by myself, with God, I was having this lovely, lovely time that you just didn't want to end. And even though I was in this really dark place, this joy just came. And, um, yeah, so I just want to encourage you that even when we do face trials, this joy can come. We keep our eyes on him. We thank him. We praise him. And the joy, the joy comes because trials, we do face trials in life. We do face things. We shouldn't stay in a place where we're sick three years. But, you know, um, things happen sometimes. And, um, but the joy, you can rely on that joy. It, it will come. And it, it comes, it takes you by surprise. I don't know if you've read the book um, by C.S. Lewis about surprise by joy, but it comes and it just, it just sort of overcome, it overcomes so much in you. And he describes it as it's, it's so different to pleasure that you'd exchange two minutes of this joy for days and weeks of pleasure because it's a godly joy that the world doesn't know. The world can't. The world is, uh, it can only experience joy from its circumstances. And it, sometimes there are joyful things. You know, people have children and, you know, you do see people experience some, some things which do give them a great, a great pleasure. But this joy that cannot be explained only can come from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay. Amen. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, so on Sunday, Mark came to church and gave his testimony, and he was walking around and he had a great elbow. It was, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Rogers to say I didn't finish that part of the testimony. Sorry. Yes. He he did. Yeah, it was remarkable. It was brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. He is an awesome God. God. So we, um, we were kind of thinking, how are we going to finish this t- today, I think. And um, I think what we'd like to do, if, um, if, if you have been struggling with you know, real kind of joy in, in your life, then you know, we'd like to pray with you. What I want you lack to know, joy. first of all... Lack of joy. That's what you mean. Yeah, lack of joy. Yeah, no. <laughs> if you've got joy, that's cool. And we'll celebrate with you. You can keep it. That's awesome. If, you, if, you, if you're struggling with a, with, a, with a lack of joy, so whether it's circumstances getting on top of you, anything like that, yeah, the first thing I want you just to remember is, is the words that we've given you today, yeah, but also we'd be more than happy to stand by you and, and, and pray with you and alongside you um, as well. And something I, I just want to add to um, Esther talking about the, the parable of the, 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 the talents there is that, you know, joy for us is, is a reward, and that, that's awesome. But remember as well, that it's a reward for faithfulness. It's also a fruit and of the faithfulness <laughs> is a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. If you've got the Holy Spirit, it's like God's it's asking like a question. <laughs> He's given you the answer. Yeah. He's given you what you need to receive that reward. He wants that reward for you. He wants you to have it. Yeah. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got it inside you already. Yeah. yeah? So we'll, we'd really happily pray for anyone that wants that. Yeah. Um, Olive, I don't know whether you want to 
come up and, 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 and maybe do some worship, or we can put some worship music on or something like that. Up to you. Don't mind either way. We can put some music on. Um, we'll pray for people. And, yeah, okay. That, sound, okay. that sounds good. Okay, Thanks, so colleague. if there's anyone that, that wants to come up, we can pray for you. Otherwise, we'll do a general prayer over everyone um, as well. Also, um, sorry, one other thing. Yeah. Um, when, when someone says something like this, there sometimes can be a pressure to um, try and make something happen. And this, you know, just don't panic if something doesn't happen straight away. But, you know, what we want is, like, an authenticity to our experience, isn't it? You know, don't, don't feel you need to force anything. We, we, we have a mighty God, and he can do all these things. You don't need to help by forcing things. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So um, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna pray, and if you want to have specific prayer afterwards, then then come and see us. But we're just gonna pray over everyone now. Is that yeah. good? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, why don't you all stand?